Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. First thing I want to say straight off the bat is thank you. You guys have supported us. If I get emotional, too bad. I'm big enough, you know what I'm saying? For 13 years to take the word, not just to Australia, but we've been to the islands of the South Pacific. For 13 years, we've gone to some of the hardest places in Australia, in the indigenous and Aboriginal communities, in the bush, driving eight, nine hours between cities or communities. And when I say bush, there are no blacktop roads. There's no roads half the time at all. But because of your faithful sowing, we've been able to take the word to places that haven't been for decades. Amen. Uh, I know there's a a fallacy that goes around that Australia, because of Hillsongs, is all saved. Actually, Australia is only 3% Christian. Okay, so if you look it up, when you see that they say that we're 3% Christian, they also include Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses in that mob. Uh, So you you kind of figure it out. So when I say thank you, I say thank you from the bottom of my heart because we've gotten to see, we've gotten to see lives changed because you guys have sown and been faithful and kept us on the field. Amen? So we don't take it lightly when offering's gone. We try never to pass up an opportunity to sow. Amen? Because if we have been blessed, blessed, because we've had two churches support us all 13 years, Pastor Mark Brzee and Pastor Rusty Martin. And so when you think about it, and I'll share some stuff, you know, because, you know, we know testimony encourages, but the word equips. Amen. So I'll share as I'm going. But just know that your finances that you have sown has seen some mighty good things. And they're going to see even greater things. Amen. 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 So if you do have your Bibles, oh, by the way, just in case my wife is watching, my (laughs) wife, Rachel, (laughs) says hi. Uh, uh, And I'm sure my son, Matthew, you know, if you guys were here when we were here in uh, uh, November, you know, my, my, my son is now bigger than me. My wife still calls him the baby. Yeah, but I'm like, man, (laughs) yeah. He just applied for Rhema today. Uh, so I'm awfully proud of that boy. I don't know if he's watching, but just in case, you know, you never know. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9. Amen. This is one of the scriptures that have kept us doing what we're doing for so long. Amen. So if you're in Mark chapter 9, you go ahead and drop down to verse 22. You know, this is the story of the father who had the epileptic son, you know, and the son kept, uh, whenever the spirit got on the son, you know, he was throwing himself in the fire, throwing himself in the water, you know, and he'd brought him to the the disciples and they couldn't heal him. So the father brings him to Jesus, you know, and one of the things he says, if, you know, if, and I like Jesus' response when he's sitting here, he goes, and Jesus said, you say to me, if, if you can do anything, Oh, that's not a good place to be. I like it in the message translation where uh, they've taken it and put it into more of the Stephen Macri vernacular. If, there is no if. There is no if. 
If you're going to go in with Jesus, you're the first thing you've got to get rid of is if. Amen. Amen. He is well able to do that which he has promised. He's well able to perform the word that has come to us through his shed blood. Amen. Amen. Why do I say he's shed blood? Because he made us whole through that blood. He brought us into family with that blood and he gave us the word. And just, you know, how do you put the devil to flight? The word. You know, we speak and it doesn't. And I like it, it says, um, you know, all things are possible to them who believe. Amen. You know, when we started this journey, we had an awesome, wonderful kickoff. It was so great. You know, we'll, we're getting ready. April 4th, we're going to fly out of the country and go to Australia. If you haven't figured out yet, you know, I am Australian. I lived in America for 20 years and then I went back. I'm nowhere near my hometown. Uh, praise God for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, when God, <laughs> I have to be honest and you guys are going to have to forgive me a little bit. I'm going to back up. You know, when we were serving God in our church and I'd been going to Samoa and I love Samoa. I love a Samoa, American Samoa. I love the islands and I just wanted to go serve, but I, I just couldn't get over the hump. God was dealing with me. So me and my wife went away for three days to pray, to seek the Lord. It's important if you're going to serve the Lord, go and pray. Get in his presence. Get on your face with him so that you can listen because we're there praying and I'm thinking, all right, we're going to go to the South Pacific Islands and my wife's over in one corner and you guys just walk in grace towards me. I'm saved. I'm just working on the sanctification, all right? All right. And so my wife's over there praying. You know what she starts praying? Australia. And I'm on the other side of the room, all right, and I'm going, hell no. Remember, I'm working on my sanctification. I'm just telling you how it was. You know, hopefully, you can forgive me. But I, when I was 21 years old and I married this beautiful young American girl right there in Griffith, New South Wales, Australia, six weeks after we married, we loved Australia so much, we were on an aeroplane leaving. And I got it. It's one of those brother Hagen, my only brother Hagen rule, brother Hagen moment. It was February 17th. 2.23 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon, the wheels came off the tarmac at Sydney International Airport, and I said, I'm never coming back. <laughs> yeah, I'm never coming back, and now I'm back. But when God said to go back, we had a plan. Anybody ever have a plan? You're going to serve God. you got a plan. So we'll, get, we'll, we'll sell in everything we had. We, we were one of those guys, those people. Don't spy out the land. If God says go, just go. Don't find out if anybody wants you there. Okay? Because you know what? For my case, nobody wanted me there. <laughs> all right? Just go. So we sold everything we had. We paid off all our bills and we got our account down to $873.23. That's what we are down to. We were going to sell our house. Was, the closing was on the Friday. We were leaving on the Tuesday, I believe it was. And we're going to get $32,000 to move our family around Australia to start ministry, right? Start life. Friday morning, we're supposed to go to closing at 11.30. 9.30 hits. They called me up and said, the buyers lied. The sale fell through. So we moved to Australia. 
Because the first thing I said, my wife's there, I'm on the phone. She starts crying. She says, what are we going to do? I said, we're going and we're not going to tell a single person we have no money. God brought in in the next six months more than what we would have got from the house sale. There is no if. There is no if. Amen. When you make that decision, because that was that pivotal point that I keep coming back to. God's got some great things out ahead for us, but he keeps bringing back. He goes, remember the faith you had at that moment? Remember that faith. He goes, you need it now. I'm like, I thought I had increased it from then. He's like, "Mm." (laughs) not so much much, apparently. And I I love it because, you know, when we go, you know, like I said, testimonies encourage, but the word equips. You know, and a couple of my favorite guys are John G. Lake, you know, and Smith Wigglesworth and all those. And you listen to what they did and you go, oh, they're great. Wait till you have to live in their shoes or walk in their shoes. You know, John G. Lake moved his family to Africa with 13 bucks, you know, at the turn of the century, which I equate to $873.23. And Smith Wigglesworth said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. It's not getting anywhere else. It's not going anywhere else. You know, and I got another verse. If why is there, go ahead to Romans chapter 420. Because, you know, when we're, we're making these moves, it set us up. You guys help set us up. Our faith helped set us up, but you guys sowing in helped set us up. When we were there, we, we, we got, you know, kind of, what did Brother Hagen call it? The left foot of fellowship. Yeah. Yeah, you know, all the, we, we actually had one pastor. He turned around because we went around to all the Pentecostal churches trying to share our vision, evangelize the lost, equip the saints, and encourage the ministers. And there was one pastor who had such compassion, and he goes, Stephen, you missed it. I'll buy you one-way tickets back to America. I'm just, you know, I'm flying high, you know what I'm saying? Things are just going great. (laughs) And I met this Fijian pastor, and, he, and I'm sharing my heart with him. And he goes, I was just praying yesterday. Not, you know, this is 13 years ago. For a man who believed in faith and healing to come and to preach to my people. Wow. And he goes, you're it. Finally, you know, you're finally getting there. Right? And so when I went up, this is what I preached. This is the sermon, uh, the, the scripture that I used as my base. If you got, again, in your Bible, go to Romans chapter 4, verse 20. You know, if you, uh, I'm going to read it again out of the message translation, if that's okay, if it's not too bad, you know, you know. Because, you know, this is the passage talking about Abraham's faith. If you back up, uh, um, I'm just going to read this real quick. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God. Okay, how's he going to fulfill his promise? By you entirely trusting God. It's not, there's no, what, what's plan B? You notice there's no B in God? It's G-O-D? There ain't no plan B. All right, it's you and God. You know, entirely on trusting God and his way. Don't try and come up with your own plans. I tried. You know, I couldn't even keep my own hair. How do I think I'm going to have a plan that will supersede God, you know? 
Well, hallelujah, I've learned a lot. And then simply embracing him, the simplicity of faith. The simplicity of faith. Just embrace what, who God is, what he says, and take it for truth and what he does. God's promises arrive as pure gifts. They're pure gifts. Amen. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. We're all in on it. Amen. How many are in on it? Come on. You know, I, I'm, I can get excited. If, I, if I'm just preaching to myself, that's okay. <laughs> those who keep religious traditions and those who have never heard of them, for Abraham is father of who? Us all. Are you of faith? I know you are because you're here in this church. All right, come on. A little bit of feedback, people. A little bit of feedback. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to drop down real quick because I don't want to take too much time. But we will. I have five openings and three closings or vice versa, three closings and five openings, whatever you want. All right. All right. Hallelujah. Abraham didn't focus on his impotence and say it's hopeless. The 100-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promises, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he said. He plunged in. He didn't wait for somebody to come up and go, hey, brother, you got this. It was him and God. It was him and Jesus. It's you and God. It's you and Jesus. When you, you know, I complained to Pastor Rice when I said, man, I'm sick of people going, oh, you know, if it's God's will, open your Bible. You'll find God's will. Amen. You know, when, when uh, Pastor Irinali says, hey, come up and preach, went up preaching, I'm preaching this, and I'm preaching that God wants to heal, that Jesus made avenue for heal. And this guy comes up, he, he got a little cart behind him with an oxygen bottle, with a little oxygen thing going up. And I'm like, what do you need? Because I'm saying, if you need healing, come up. Well, the presence of God's here. And he unbuttons his shirt, and he's got a staple line going all the way down his chest and a staple line going down his side. And with ragged breath, he goes, I just got back from Brisbane. They removed my right lung and a portion of my left lung because of cancer. And he goes, I want new lungs. And I'm going, where's the guy off the hangnail? The first guy I'm getting to pray for in Australia and he's got a missing lung and a portion of the other lung missing. I'm like, Jesus, come on. (laughs) He goes, you said not to tiptoe. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know. And I said to this guy, his name was Alan. Oh, sorry, I probably shouldn't say names. But anyhow, I said, all right, you truly believe that God can give you new lungs? And he goes, yes. I said, I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to put my faith with your faith and let's see what God does. Amen. Amen. So I laid hands on him and the service went on and I prayed for other people. Three days later, I'm driving down Mulgrave Road in Cairns. It's one of the main drags. And the phone rings and, you know, they tell you not to answer, but, you know, we all answer the phone while you're driving. (laughs) Come on, admit it. (laughs) All right. Bunch of liars. (laughs) 
I didn't look at the name, you know, so I just held it up. I said, hello, this is Pastor Stephen. They're new. They're new. Just yelling. They're new. And I'm like, what's new? Who is this? What's going on? And it was Pastor Eri. He goes, I'm here at the hospital. I'm with Alan. They were having issues with the oxygen. So they've taken x-rays and he's got two brand new lungs. Hallelujah. You sit around and you go, God, I got no money. You know, you know, we were so blessed that we had enough money to get beds for the kids and ourselves. But for like four months, we had no furniture in the house. You know, because we had no money. Come on. But God shows up. God shows up. Amen. It was so cool because we're sitting there later on, me and Pastor Erie, and he's a big, he's taller, was taller than me. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And he's just grabbed me and he's just subbing on me going, we're going to see some good stuff. And I'm like, yes, we are. When you step aside and go, Lord, no matter what, this, what goes on, we're here for you. We're not going to be distracted by what we don't have. We're not going to be distracted by what people say. Yeah. We're stepping in with you. And if it doesn't happen, it's because I messed up. Amen? Amen. It's not God, it's me. If it doesn't happen, it's me. And, you know, the the one thing I say about not having hair, sometimes you miss it because it just goes straight over. (laughs) You you all got hair, it gets caught. Hallelujah. Praise God, my wife's not here. Yeah, but Abraham glorified God because he moved out in faith and it just inspired me going, oh, we're going to move in faith. And Josh is going, well, uh, Josh picked me up at the airport and he goes, what does it take to be on the mission field? And I said, CTG. CTG is what gets you there and keeps you there. Completely trusting God. That's it. You can't be, you know, uh, uh, what, what's the um, toe dipper? You know what I mean? You walk up to the river and you, you just dip your toe in it. And they, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. You're not going to see the miracles of God if you're a toe dipper. You're not. You've got to plunge in. You've got to plunge in. And it might seem like, you know what, nothing else is going right. And how can this be that we're going to be there? Remember, if you drop on down to verse 24, but it's not just Abraham. It's not just Abraham. Why are they saying it's not just Abraham? Because the next thing that it says, it's also us. Are you an us? Come on, are you an us? I'm an us. And God's no respecter of persons. If he can use me, he can use you. You know, it's one of those funny things. uh, You know, I I only got to be around uh, the ministry of Kenneth E. Hagin for about a year before he went to be with the Lord. And, you know, here we are. I think uh, that was September because it was the first year of my second year of Rhema that he went to be with the Lord. You know, it's first day, sorry, the second year. So what's that, 20, it was 03, so it's 20 years. Man, I've gone all over the South Pacific. I've gone up into the highlands of PNG. I've gone into the hill countries of Vanuatu. I've been in the, the, the low, low plains of Western Samoa. And I have always found an in him book. It was kind of cool in Vanuatu. It was in French. 
It was translated into French. It was tattered as all get out. By the way, when I say AS, apparently it sounds like something else. So when I say AS, I'm saying AS, all right? <laughs> just in case. I just got to put that in there. My wife and my son are like, Dad, you know what that sounds like? You know, because they got the more they got the American accent. I, you know, you know. So it was tattered as possibly could be. Now I'm self-conscious about it. <laughs> yeah, it was tattered. And the one pastor guy who came to me when he goes, "You know who he was?" I said, "I do," but let me talk to you about who he spoke about. Let me talk about the Jesus that he knew. Let's talk about the miracles that that man did, Jesus, because he was the son of God and he used a man named Kenneth E. Hagen to spread the word of faith so that you can do the same things that Jesus did. Amen? Oh, it's true. It's in the word, isn't it? It's in the word. So if it's in the word, is it truth? So then it's truth, then that means you should be acting on it. That means it should be acting on it. You know, when we started out in the uh, indigenous ministry, you have to have the, uh, a little bit of the history of Australia because Australia in 1901, when it became a republic, they instituted what's called the White Australia Policy. And the White Australia Policy was that well, there was supposed to be no black people left in the country by 1947. They were to be eradicated. All right? And then they had a wonderful plan. They used the church. They used the church to go out and create missions and draw the indigenous in. And then that's how they do their programs of eradication. And I'm not going to go any further. So then when we rock up, we're white. They don't like us because we're white. Then we're professing Christ. How do they equate Christ? So they don't like us because we're confessing Christ. And then they heard my wife and my daughters and my son speak and they realised they weren't Australian, so they're foreigners. So we had three strikes right off the bat. And the thing about communities, Indigenous community, if you don't get invited in, don't go in because you ain't coming out. Amen. And so we were so blessed, like, Lord, you want us to go. How are we going to do this? They don't want what we have. They don't want us. I don't know how many times I got, I got white and then some colourful letters after or some colourful letters before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you fill in the blanks. Yeah, they didn't want us. And God goes, I need you to go up to this meeting of another man's ministry. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know this bloke. I haven't met him. Why would I go up there? They're not going to want me around. He goes, you need to go up. And I went up and there was an Aboriginal pastor, Pastor Tony, one-legged dude. Don't trust one-legged people and I'll share why in a moment. <laughs> pastor Tony latches on and goes, me and you are going to start going bush. I'm like, great, you know. And so he started taking just me, not my family, it was just me for the first year just to go in and break the ground so that they'd accept us to preach Christ Jesus. And he goes, Pastor Stephen, our very first meeting is in a community called Hope Vale. He goes, we're going to need to see a miracle. 
I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you can preach, but if they don't see a miracle, they're not going to respond. No pressure. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all right. So he, it, we only had probably 50 people come out to the meeting, you know, and it's crazy. Yeah. We had a, a fire and one little light to shine and no one would come into where there was light. Okay? They, and it's, it's dark. And they're black. I'm trying to paint the picture here. I don't know how many were actually there till the prayer line. I'm like, am I just... Because at one point, uh, there is actually a picture of it. I got 10 or 15 dogs right in front in the light. So it looks like I'm preaching to the dogs. It's really cool. The dogs got saved. <laughs> all dogs go to heaven, all cats go to hell. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm actually leaving the country in three weeks. <laughs> or I'm going to end up on the plane with you. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right. So you know what I preached? Romans 4.20. Here we go, Lord. And then going from there to, to Luke chapter 5. And the, and the leper who goes up to Jesus goes, if you are willing, you are well able to heal me. Notice the difference between Mark 9 and Luke 5. One guy questioned the desire of Jesus and one questioned the ability of Jesus. Don't ever question the ability. And you got the answer of the desire the moment because Jesus says, I am willing. Yeah, amen. Amen. So I'm preaching on that and then I give an altar call and four Aboriginal guys come up out of the darkness into the light and I get to the first one. I'm like, what do you want? And he's just staring at me. They speak English. What do you want? What are you up to prayer for? And he's just staring at me. And then finally I hear a voice behind me go, he can't speak. He's mute. And I thought it was Pastor Tony. But I looked to my left and Pastor Tony's standing over there. So I'm looking around. There was no one there. It was the, it's one of those moments you're like, hopefully it was an angel or whatever, right? But it was so cool. And I said, you can't speak. And he goes, no. And we had a little busker ant. You know what a busker ant is? He didn't say no. He just shook his head. Sorry. Shook his head. I'm jumping ahead of myself. He shook his head. And we had a little busker ant with a corded mic. And I, I put it up to him and said, all you have to do is say Jesus. And he's just staring at me. I said, just try. And his lips moved. I said, all right, we've we got motion. Yeah. We've got motion. And then there was a I said, come on, all you've got to do is say Jesus. And then he went, he's. I said, come on. And on the fourth or fifth time, I'm trying to speed up, he goes, Jesus. And then I said, shout it out, Jesus. And he shouted it out. And the other three guys were in the line ran the other way. Because <laughs> they knew he couldn't speak. Yeah. They grew up with him. And I thought they ran off and weren't, weren't coming back. They came back with 47 other people. Because the one miracle spoke to them. The one miracle that spoke was the name Jesus. 
we love it what we do. You know, it, it was so crazy as we move along because our ministry is a field ministry. We're not in one place doing one thing. We've done children's ministry. My wife, you know, she's crazy lady. Because we're driving down this road one day. She's not here, but anyhow. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're driving down this road. We'd only been in, in Australia for about three weeks. And like I said, we're getting the rejection from everywhere we're going. And she sees this sign, Yarraba. And it's the largest Aboriginal community in far north Queensland. And she goes, that's where we're going to go and hold our uh, first outreach. I'm like, okay, cool. And, you know, it's me, my wife, my 14-year-old daughter, my 11-year-old daughter, and my 6-year-old son. That's our ministry team. You know, and so we go, and like I said, you know, when we go there, we don't know anything. And that this community is so bad it has its own police station in it, wow. right? So we go and we had, God gave my wife a wonderful uh, plan, go through and flyer every house, put a little flyer. So we're, we're doing it and we got the girls and Matthew and we're going to house to house to house to house. Next minute we look back and the police are there. Okay. And we keep on going house to house to house. Finally, they pull up, come out, and they go, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, we're Freedom Harvest Ministries. That's the name of our ministry, big ministry of five. Six-year-olds leading it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we're coming in. We're going to do a children's outreach in the park over here, and we're just going through, and we're inviting the community. And he goes, you know, you're white. Nope, <laughs> I didn't know that. I've only been this way for, at the time, 40 years. You know, he goes, no one's going to come and you're in danger. We didn't leave. Because I looked at my wife and said, what are we doing? She goes, we keep going. So we, we kept going house to house to house. And we get to the top end of the street. And as we come, start coming down this street, you know, about eight or nine houses down, we just hear this screeching. We don't want your Jesus here. We hadn't been up and down the street yet. And this lady's just screaming at the top of her lungs, we don't want your Jesus here. You know, we kept on going. We go back two days later to hold our outreach. And it's so cool because the wife gets out there and she's on the busker amp and she's uh, encouraging. We end up with, I think, if I remember right, this is 10 years ago or 13 years ago, so have some grace on my memory. Lord, you work on it. I think we had like 60 or 65 kids come out. And then around the field we had adults just trying to figure out what these crazy white people were doing in their community and not afraid to be there. You know, and so we're there, and my wife and my daughter, my oldest daughter, Jessica, you know, they're just going for it. They're just preaching the house down. And then they, you know, at a children's level. I, I can't reach that level, you know. No limitations, you know what I'm saying? And then they give an altar call, and 39 kids come running up to receive Jesus. Wow. Glory. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, and it's crazy because I'm standing at the back because most of the time when we do outreaches, I'm just the muscle. And what I mean by the muscle, you know, I set the stuff up and pack the stuff down. My wife does the preaching on most of those children's outreaches and stuff like that. And then I start looking and these 12 or 13 adults come up. And they kind of sneak around the back of the vehicle and they motion to my wife. We want that Jesus too. You know, we're not moved by what we see. There is no if. There is no if. You know, it has to be done. You know, I love it because we look at these things and as the years have progressed and we're, we're trusting God, the, the fact is that he needs more people to go, there is no if. Amen. Have you noticed the news lately? You know, we were in Australia and it was funny. Somebody sent me the uh, 1936 uh, uh, deal that the Nazis did before the Olympics, started the processes of stuff, and then they put to, uh, what Australian government was doing to us in COVID, how we couldn't cross state lines. You couldn't go more than 100, mile, uh, 100 kilometres from your house for a while, 60 miles. When it first hit, you couldn't go more than five kilometres from your house. You couldn't go to the grocery store. Then it got to the point where if you didn't get the vax, you weren't allowed to go anywhere, you know, for two years. Yeah. You know, and I only got vaccinated just so I could, I could come to America in November. Uh, I was a stubborn guy, you know what I'm saying? We did everything that we weren't supposed to do. Because we're trusting God. Amen. Because we saw these situations and these circumstances and God goes, I need to put you in a building. I'm like, Lord, all right, what building? And he shows my wife and we show up and we go to the building and we got zero money in the account. And then uh, this building was like, I think it was $180,000 a year to rent it. I'm not doing that. I don't have $180 to spare. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And then God goes, invite the realtor for coffee. I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I called up the realtor and I invited him to coffee. So we're sitting there, he goes, Stephen, because of COVID, just make an offer. Just make an offer. So we made an offer. And they said, yes. It was a ridiculous offer. <laughs> no one knew what they were asking. <laughs> you know? And in that building we started, it was so cool, we started uh, ministering four nights a week and three days a week. We didn't, we didn't do anything on weekends because we, uh, Australia is a little bit weird when it comes to their churches. They're more fence builders than field builders. Yeah, you know, you, you figure out what that means. But we started Friday Night Faith where we're teaching for seven week, doing seven-week courses. And the first one was what? Faith. And then we did seven weeks on the believer's authority. Then we did seven weeks on the Holy Ghost. Yeah, and then we did seven weeks on um, the Word of God. You know, we just, the names of God. And we just kept doing that. And it was amazing the reports where people were going, how marriages are saved. Because for us in Australia... <laughs> the two biggest things that suffered most through COVID was suicide and domestic violence. There was a 10,000% increase in domestic violence. 
you know. We had, on average, it was, I think it was, what was it? Uh, in the entire country, 169 men would take their own lives in a week. In the entire country, right? Then COVID hit, it peaked at 420. Yeah, so we, we were dealing with all that. But then we were doing these courses, these seven-week courses, and the reports of where people are going, I've got it now, and I'm taking it. We were duplicating ourselves and didn't even realise it. We're just going, all right, Lord, you, what do you want us to do with this building? You know, and then as soon as that season was over, God goes, all right, now it's time to move on. Don't hold on to something that you're not supposed to hold on to. Amen. Amen. If he says move, move. There are no ifs. There are no ifs. I'm going to keep on repeating it because it's what hit us constantly. We're up doing a ministry um, uh, because with our ministry, On a weekly basis, it was nothing to drive 400 kilometres, which is like 360 miles. Because we we were on the coast, and so we did uh, Bible studies and the the night meetings and all that. And then we drive two hours to another area and do a Bible study. And then we drive another two hours to somewhere else and do a Bible study. So we're always just driving around and just doing ministry where it was needed. And at this one Bible study we're doing and we're just ministering that all things are possible to them that believe. And uh, there was this one young lady, I, th- I believe she was 10, and she, her mom had been a part of our ministry team for about two years or three years at that point. And when she was born, they had to use the forceps on her so they crushed her shoulder. So she couldn't move her arm like beyond this. She always had her arm tucked. She couldn't move her arm. And it was all the nerve damage and all that. And so we're there. Anything's possible. All things are possible to them that believe. And I I went up to this young lady because the anointing was there. The presence of God was there. And I took her arm. And like I said, she couldn't go beyond this point. So I took her arm and I held it. And then I just started raising it up and raising it up and raising it up. And raising it up. And then we started rotating it. And rotating it. And rotating it. It was so cool because everybody on that row was her mum, her grandmother, her great aunt, and several other members of the family. And they just, one of them I recall, one of them said, Jesus is good. Jesus is good. He is. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we, we're doing all this and we're just circulating her arm. Three days later, she, they take it to the doctor because they're like, look at this. And the doctor goes, that's impossible. They took x-rays. That's impossible. And then he's looking at the x-rays. He goes, um, all right, we need to take her to Cairns because it's up in Atherton. It's about two hours from Cairns. We need to take her to Cairns and we need to do some MRIs on her. And they're like, why? He said, there's an impossibility going on in her body. When nerves are severed, they don't regrow and connect on the other side. And all her nerves had been severed and they regrew and made new tracks around and connected on the other side. Amen. Amen. 
Well, God's good. Jesus is good. Jesus is good. You know, it's hard to sit down and go, you know, we just want to share, you know, normally I just preach, I'm just trying to get to you guys because this is my first opportunity to share what you've done in Australia. Come on. Didn't David say that those who stay with the stuff get the same to those that go? I'm trying to get to you what you've done in Australia. We went to Vanuatu. We climbed up this hill and this guy in the John Fromm cult, it's the largest cult in the world, 46,000 people believing on this thing called John Fromm. And I read about him in 1999 and I I wanted to go. They figured out, the only thing they can figure out in World War II, there was a medic based in Vanuatu, based on Tanner Island, who would have been about six foot four, six foot five, blonde haired, blue eyed. His first name was John from America. And so now it's just the John from Colt. And they're waiting for this John guy to come back and save them. That's what they've been waiting for since 1940 whatever. I wasn't there when it happened, so I don't know the actual time. And I said, I'm going to go preach there. To these guys. It took 17 years. Oh, no, sorry. From 19, I got there in 16, so 99 to 16. It is 17 years. Thank you. See, I can do math. <laughs> it took 17 years before I got there. And, and it's another one of those moments where it's like the guys go, we'll take you in there, pastor. But they'll tell you they don't want Jesus. They've had many come and proselytize. And I'm like, okay, wait till they see Jesus show up. I'm like, Lord, there's got to be somebody that's going to need a miracle in this group. So we walked in and, they, you know, and, they, and the guys who are with us are going, Pastor, you just stand right here. Don't move till they come. Don't move. When they say don't move a couple of times, guess what I did? I didn't move. I stood in the one spot. All right, I'm waiting here. And the first guy came up had her spear go through his hand and it ripped all the way through. And so his hand was curled up like that and he could no longer open it. I'm like, okay, all right. You know what we're preaching? Luke 5. He is willing. He is willing. So we're, we're, we're doing it. And then I say, I say to this guy, because I had to have a look, an interpreter on that because where we were in Tanner Island at that point, point was where the separation was between the French and the English because part of the island was occupied by France and part by the English and so I had an interpreter I said all right you know come on tell him to open his hand and he's just looking at me I'm like you got to tell him to open his hand all right so I go to the guy and I grab his hand and I pull his fingers out And he stayed like that. And he's just staring at his hand. Just staring at it. And then I'm, and I, then I put my hand going, to, you know, because I can't. I don't speak French. If you haven't figured out, I barely speak English. All right. You know, and I start doing this. And he, caught, he started. And he just started. And then he started. Thirteen people who have been believing on some blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy gave their hearts to the Lord because that guy got healed. 
Amen. Amen. There's no if. There's no if. There's only do. Sorry. There's only do. What are you willing to do so God can meet you at? You know, when, uh, it's 8.48. Should I start wrapping up? <laughs> no, it's not up to me. It's your church. I'm trying to be honoring. Am I allowed to wrap up? Doing good? Just somebody give me a sign. Don't, if anybody falls asleep, I'll stop. <laughs> Don't close your eyes, Brandy. <laughs> yeah. We discovered where we stopped and Jesus started. The moment we were in that house and the money fell through. And then our goal was just go and do whatever it took to do to see Jesus brought to the world. And everything we've done, everything we've done, you guys have been a part of it every step of the way. If you've sown a penny, you've saved a life. Uh, we don't keep record. I don't know how many people have got saved by what we do. But that was always, up until COVID, that was always the main focus, doing outreach after outreach after outreach to get into the communities, to get into the city. We are in the homeless shelter, and I'm closing with this because um, I'm not sure. Like I said, i got five closings. And uh, when we got to the homeless shelter, they were just like not wanting anything to do. We're all Christians, you know, and you're in that homeless shelter and you got everything, black, white, pink, purple, orange, and we're in there. And for seven weeks, or I believe it was seven Wednesdays, yeah, we'd go in and they said there was a line. We couldn't cross that line. We had to stay on this side of the line. And if they want to talk to us, they have to cross the line. We can't shout out to them. We can't get their attention. All we can do is come in and sit at a picnic bench. And for over a month, we'd go in and sit at that picnic bench. Me and my wife, sometimes we'd take the girls. Because Matthew was little, you know, he was only six. You know, finally one lady comes in and she had something wrong with her. I can't remember what it is now. And Rachel prayed for her and she got instantly healed. Then she became the evangelist of the homeless shelter. We showed up the next week. Everybody was on this side of the line. (laughs) And we got to minister. And and it was so cool because we got to the point where it was like getting them saved. We were like, you know what? There's going to be nobody left in this homeless shelter by Christmas. Everybody's going to have a home by Christmas. And this was October, I think we said it. Oh, the week before Christmas, the homeless shelter was empty. Wow. Everybody got placed. Amen. Yeah. And again, there's no ifs. We just determined, you know what, this is what God said to do. We're going to do it. And there's been great challenges. Don't get me wrong. Come on, you're going to oppose the devil. He's going to come out and swing. Amen. Yeah, it's, it'd be easy. It'd be easy to focus on what was stolen. It'd be easy to focus on all the rejection. You know, it was funny because one pastor said to me, well, doing all, everything, all these things are going on. And he goes, I'll never have you preach in my church. 
You're too word-based. You've lost me. I don't understand. You know, it does not compute. (laughs) I'm too word-based. It'd be easy to focus on all of that. It'd be so easy to do it. One last. We get a phone call. After this guy has said I'm too word-based, right, we get a phone call from, uh, uh, we call her Nan. She's an elder Indigenous lady. She's adopted us as her grandchildren. She goes, hey, I've got a cousin that's in the hospital. You know, she's up there, you know, and I don't know what's wrong, but she's in ICU. And so we go up and we use the pastor card, you know, or the reverend card, Reverend Stephen Mackey coming into ICU. We want to see so-and-so. We go in. She's in a coma. And as we walk up, we're going, all right, this because the name, you know, and we're going, all right. And it was just by chance. I don't believe in chance, okay. There was an Indian doctor um, from India and a white doctor, right. And we, we start questioning what's going on. I said, don't even bother. She's not going to wake up. She'll be dead in days. And there was uh, some sort of substance had got him and coated her lungs. And there was nothing that they could do to get the substance out. So she was going to end up suffocating. And we're like, okay, cool. And so we prayed and nothing happened. And I'm sitting there on one side of the bed, Rachel's on the other side of the bed, and God says, I want you up here one hour a day praying for her till she recovers. One week goes by, four weeks go by, six weeks go by. And not every day were both of us up there because of the ministry. You know, sometimes we... But for six weeks, every day, one of us was praying over her for an hour. And then at 3 o'clock... Oh, no, it was like 4.15 in the morning. I never turned my phone off because with what we did, there were a lot of times where suicidal people would call and I'd go out. So the phone starts ringing. So, you know, you jump up and you answer it because you're so used to the situation that we're always in. And I'm like, oh, she's awake. Pastor Stephen, she's awake. And I'm like, cool, you can have waited till 8 o'clock. <laughs> you know, hello. Yeah, he was excited. I don't blame him, but I needed some sleep. And you know what was really weird about it? I forgot she was in a coma when I showed up. She was in a coma when Rachel and I showed up. So you know what she had never seen? Us. <laughs> she was in a coma. Yeah, so then she sees these two white people walking up to her, grinning like the cat that got the cream, and she's going, oh. <laughs> you know, and the husband's going, he comes around, hugs and all that. And you know what she said? You know what she had the nerve to say? He looks like Dr. Phil. <laughs> all right. You know what? I'm going to not pray for you anymore. I thought I was better looking than him. Hallelujah. Praise God. I don't have unction to pray for anybody. So if you don't have it, you don't fake it. But thank you. Now we've got some massive changes going on in our ministry in the near future. We know that we're going to be moving about a 1,000 miles from where we are right now. And if you ever look at that map up there of Australia, a 1,000 miles and I'm still in the same state. 
We're still in Queensland. Uh, you can actually fit five Texases into the state of Queensland. Uh, you know, uh, and speaking of Texas, you know, it's funny. I'm just going to leave this with you. Every time I meet an American overseas, I say, where are you from? America. Every Texan. <laughs> where are you from? Texas. <laughs> it's so amazing. It is funny, though. I did uh, preach for Pastor Randy Ayers two weeks ago, and we were sharing about some stuff, and they were talking about their firepower. And I went back to Oklahoma, and I grabbed my daughter, Jessica, because she lives here. I said, anything ever happens, get to Texas. <laughs> if you can't get to Pastor Randy, get to Pastor Rusty, you will be safe. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. So thank you. We've got some good things coming up because you planted for the last 13 years. Your seed has been well received. And not to be braggadocious, we have been good ground because we have not been a dam. We are a river. What comes in goes out. Amen. So I just want to say thank you again. And then I'm just going to pray over you if that's all right. I just don't have unction to lay hands on anybody in any way, shape or form. I thank you, Father God, for this wonderful church. I thank you for Pastor Rusty and Miss Leah for having a heart not just for Texas, not just for the great nation of the USA, but for the world. And I thank you, Lord, for them seeing a bald-headed, big-nosed man and seeing Christ in him and having the guts to pull him out. And I thank you, Lord, for all these people to listen and trust you to share their finances with us all these years. We, we, I thank you, Lord, that that seed comes back a hundredfold. And I praise you, Father God, if there are any here, any here who desire to go out into ministry, that you equip them greater than what you equipped us. Lord, let them do far more than what we have done and we have seen. And I thank you, Lord, that this church does take its new building. They've sown too much not to. I give you glory for it, Father God. And I thank you, Lord. Now, Pastor Rusty and Miss Leah, I just thank you, Father God, that you continually to gird them up, guide them correctly, give them the energized strength that they need to do what they need to do, and that the joy continually flows from them. I thank you for it, Father. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah.